And everybody said, Amen. I want to start in this place with you today. If you have a Bible, go to Mark chapter 8, and I'll be there in just a minute. But as you're turning there, I want, I want you to think about the word prophet. Prophet. Many of us uh, organize our lives around this idea of making a prophet. The definition of prophet just in its most basic form means to make a gain, to have a gain, to make something better or more. Profit. We all set goals, create systems, build relationships, make investments all around the hope that there will be some good old ROI, right? Some return on the investment, right? We, we organize a lot of our lives around that. And if you're a business owner or you lead a nonprofit or wherever you are, it means even more to you as you look at the, what we call the bottom line, right? So we, we understand in our culture this idea of making a profit. How am I making a profit? In fact, one of the most popular books written over the last couple of years was written by a secular author named James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. It's really good. It'll help you. All right, but let, let me just read a couple quotes from this book. All right, here's what he says. And th- this, is, this is not even a Christian. All right, here's what he says. You do not rise to the level of your goals, right? You fall to the level of your systems, right? So, so if we have a goal, it's not good enough to just set a goal. It's not good enough for me to have this idea of where I want to go. I have to have a system for how to get there, right? Because if I'm over here and I want to get over here, I need a system to get me there, to deliver on those results, to make a profit, to have a return on the investment being made. Here's another one. It's easy to get bogged down trying to find the optimal plan for change. The fastest way to lose weight. The best program to build muscle. The perfect idea for a side hustle. We're so focused on figuring out the best approach that we never get around to taking an approach. Last one. Time magnifies the margin between success and failure. Time is what he's talking about. It will multiply whatever you feed it. Good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. And so just little changes produce long-term results is really what he's saying. And so, and we would even say in our context that those small incremental intentional decisions in your spiritual life will actually contribute to your human flourishing. That it'll actually make a difference. And yet, you knew this Jesus juke was coming. (laughs) And yet, that's not everything that matters if you're a follower of Jesus. Even those things that can help you as followers of Jesus make better decisions... If we are followers of Jesus, we're compelled by the inner working of God, the Holy Spirit, to go one step farther than that. To go just a little bit beyond that and ask not just the question of what is the vision I have for my life and where do I want to go with my life, 
but to include Jesus in that and ask him, what is the vision that Jesus has for my life? Because how many of you know that your dreams and your visions don't always line up with Jesus' vision for your life? Moving on. I know that can be hard. But the reason that I think this is such an important question, and what I want to invite you to think about today, is actually pretty simple. Because if Jesus is the creator of all things, Genesis chapter 1, and he's also, according to Colossians chapter 1, not just the creator of all things, but the sustainer of all things, to him, from him, like him. If that's true, and that's a confession that we gladly make here at Redeemer, but if that's true, then only Jesus can actually show you the way to true freedom and abundant life and human flourishing. Because if he created everything, and, and I know you know that, but the question that, that I want to ask you and invite you to consider is, have you oriented your life that way? Because here's the reality as you sit here before me today or you watch online today. Everything in your life wants your worship. Everything in your life wants your heart. Your sports team wants your heart. I'm working on that one. The desires of your flesh want your heart, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to buy, how you're going to spend your money. All, all of those things want your heart, right? Jesus would say crazy stuff like where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. It's one of my least favorite verses in the Bible, right? Like, what do, you, what do, what do we say? Follow the money, right? And so we, we can joke about that, but... But the reality is, is that it's true. It's true. If you look around and you start to pay attention, one of, one of the ways that the church for centuries has thought about this is through this idea of having a liturgy, right? And so a lot of times we think about that as like what we do on a daily or a, or a week-to-week basis in a church service, and that is part of it. But there are liturgies all around you. There, there, are, there are things asking you to worship. I need these things in my life. And, and we, could, we could spend a lot of time breaking that down, but, but I, wa- I want to I just trust that, that you see that, and you'll agree with me on that, that everything in your life, if you were to break it down, is asking for your heart. All of it. Everything. And there's this exchange in Mark chapter 8 between Jesus and Peter. And some of it's going to be super familiar to you. But, but I want to look at it because Jesus asks an incredibly important question in the midst of this story that ought to shape the rest of our life. And I don't like to make crazy statements like that on a because I actually think like James Clear is right 
that if you'll just commit to the church and commit to the city group and commit to reading your Bible and commit to worshiping Jesus on a daily basis and make it a lifestyle, I actually think you'll get to where I'm telling you you need to go. However, all of us can occasionally use that watershed moment, that Pentecost moment where the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart and reminds you why you are here doing what you do. So I think in the long term, we are. We're looking for the liturgy of the gospel, the liturgy of the scriptures to day in and day out as you walk with Jesus as you, as scripture says, walk in the spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That you will begin as your adoration goes to God and you worship God that you'll begin to look like Jesus. And we talk about that a lot, but I want to I look at this exchange here. Because what I think you would all agree with me is as you think about all those things that there is this version of me. That I wish I was. If I was just going to sit across the coffee table from you and have a real conversation, I think every single one of us would say that there are these things that I'm not yet that I wish that I was. Or we can go to the negative side of that and say there are some things that I am currently that I wish that I wasn't. And I think you'll be honest enough with me in this moment to grant me that because I also am a human. (laughs) I have those things that I wish that I wasn't and I wish that I was, right? The Apostle Paul in in the Bible would say it this way. I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I do want to do. And let's just be honest. (laughs) If the Apostle Paul after having been knocked off his high horse, literally, by the presence of God, still had things he needed to make adjustments to, I think we can confess that we have things we would like to make adjustments to. So in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and there's some more context there, and it's a, it's a great place to um, be. But beginning in verse 27, I want to, I want to look at just a few verses with you in this exchange. And so in verse 27, the the Bible says this, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, so you're getting the context, right? They've left one place and they're walking in that Middle Eastern context to the next place, Caesarea Philippi. And so they're on their way. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? It's an appropriate question for us. As you look around the culture that you find yourself in, who do people say that Jesus is? And so they tell him, verse 28, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. So they're conceding that Jesus is, he's kind of a big deal, but we're not really sure that he's the whole deal. And then verse 29, Jesus asked them, and I want you to picture Jesus turning to you today and asking you the same question. But who do you say that I am? 
It's the most important question you'll ever be asked and that you can ever answer. And I'm just guessing by your attendance here today that you would say what Peter is about to say. And if you haven't confessed that, I would just tell you it's as easy as making this confession that Peter's about to make to become a child of God, to be adopted by his grace into the family of God, to pass, as the Bible would picture it, from death to life. It is the gospel that you aren't enough and that you can't measure up, that you won't find what you're looking for outside of Jesus, that that is the essence of the gospel, that he's done for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so the scripture is very clear. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead, you will be saved. And it is a miracle. And I can't explain it completely. But the Bible then says the Holy Spirit will come on your life and you'll never be the same. And so, so this is the confession. This is the beginning of that confession of what it looks like to confess Jesus as Lord. And so Peter answers him in verse 29, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And then I've, I've never been a fan of the next verse in the Bible here. It says, and Jesus told him to tell nobody. You're like, why? Right? And other gospel writers say that Jesus would turn to him and say, and say to Peter, like, you, you have said the right thing. Only heaven could reveal that to you. I mean, boom, you nailed it. <laughs> but what comes next is critical to our understanding of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. Because what Peter just declared is that person that we want to be, right? We want to be that person. You are, you are the Christ, Son of the living God. You are Lord of my life. But then Monday happens. <laughs> and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. And then you roll in here the next Sunday, and you're like, Ooh, let's, let's go again. <laughs> like, come on. Because it's life. And, and, and there's this version of me that I wish that I was. And yet we're going to resonate with what happens here to Peter. Let's keep reading. So that exchange happens and it's amazing. And then verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. I love the simplicity of the Bible, don't you? Look at what verse 32 says. And he said this plainly. Like This wasn't hard to understand. This was very straightforward. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again three days later. <laughs> and I love Peter. I love his honesty. And Peter took him aside. Can you imagine? <laughs> Taking the Son of God. <laughs> Come here. I can just see it, right? Come on. Come over here. Come here. Have a little chat. <laughs> Let me fix some of your theology, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, okay. Can't tell me Jesus wasn't laughing on the inside, right? 
So he pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him. (laughs) I love it. And then the worst sentence that's ever been said to a human being, right? Like, get behind me, Satan. Now, just think about the switch that just happened. You are the Christ. And the other gospel writers say that Jesus looks at Peter and says, man, heaven has revealed this to you. Moments later, as Jesus is teaching... (laughs) Peter's like, you're wrong. You're wrong. That's not going to happen. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. For, listen, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What a revealing statement, right? Because you and I would actually look at that and say, actually, like, I think, I think that was set out of love for Jesus, don't you? Like, I actually think he was like, no, 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 like, Jesus, like, you can't do that. Like, I'll die for you. We all know how that went. He did eventually die for Christ. But Peter, in this moment, begins a journey from who Peter wanted to be to who Jesus wanted Peter to be. Are you tracking with me? See, because there's a lot of things that we declare, (laughs) but there's this journey of walking with Jesus that only walking with Jesus and being filled with the Spirit can take you to. And so he goes on here. In verse 34, he calls a crowd to him with his disciples, and then he, he lays out what it would look like to follow Jesus. I just, I just want to challenge you with this today. And I want you to know right off the bat that you cannot do this in your own strength. It's just, it's just not going to happen. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God, and you need to have the support and relationship of His people. And if you don't, you won't. And, and we, could, we could look at our own lives to prove that. And we could look at life after life after life to prove that. And so here's what he says to this crowd as he's gathered them to him. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And then here's the piercing question. Here's the question that I would just, I want to resonate into the depths of your heart and soul. Because it's coming directly from the lips of Jesus. For what does it profit a man? There's our word profit. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? To gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then he'd go on in that next chapter to talk about how the power of God will come and the kingdom of God will come in power. And of course it goes on into Acts and the birth of the church and then us, that we're the literal result of the power of God coming in his kingdom on earth. But this passage is a paradox. There's a paradox here that to those of us living in the 21st century United States of America, it doesn't make sense because we win. <laughs> We're here to win. Right? We're here to win in life. We're here to win at business. We're here to win in our teams. And when we lose, we fix it. It's what we do. (laughs) But Jesus is going to come here and, and give us this seemingly absurd, contradictory statement that when we investigate throughout the channels of history, proved to be true, that losing in the kingdom of God, is winning. Losing is winning. Right? That's the paradox, the counterintuitive nature of the gospel, is that whoever would lose their life will find their life. Not popular. (laughs) way easier and there are scriptures we could go to that talk about easier things but the Bible is very clear that we have to look at the full counsel of God's word because the reality is is none of the other things are going to be available to you unless you'll first lay down your life pick up your cross and follow Jesus But I want to warn you that it's not something that you're just going to do. Because that's where our brains go as 21st century United States of American Christians. We can't help it. (laughs) We can't help it. All right, Pastor. Give me the steps. Let's go. How do I lay it down? How do I pick it up? How do I follow And don't you know that Jesus would not give you that satisfaction? There's plenty here, but right, like the goal, the person you're supposed to become, it says in Galatians 6, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Like, but here's the deal. It doesn't say it's the fruit of your atomic habits. Not what it says. It doesn't say it's the fruit of Mitch's work over time. No, no, no. What does it say? It says it's the fruit of what? The Spirit. It's not a to-do list. It's not a list of things you need to work at, though we all need to work at. No, no, no. There's this completely different thing happening in the kingdom of God. It's where you will come to the foot of the cross 
and recognize that you are not who you are supposed to be. There's one author who calls it the glorious ruin. That's what it is. We have to cut. What, what is the call if losing is winning? What is the actual call of God on our life to come and die? But that, that doesn't fit where we want to go. I, I, just, I just tell you, just honestly as your pastor, I, I have such a hard time with this. I have such a hard time with this. There are just things that I want. Can we, can we just be honest with each other? There's things that I want for Redeemer City Church that, that would benefit all of us. But really me. Because <laughs> I work here. <laughs> there are things that I want for my kids. There's things that I want for my wife. There's things that I want for Mitch. <laughs> and, and if Camden was to get up here and tell you, she say, he's losing that battle. <laughs> he's losing that battle. He still wants those things. Because honestly, for you and I, as we get up every day of our life, it's a call to come and die. And it's so hard. But there's hope. There's hope because the call is to deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow the will and the ways of Jesus. And the call is to both metaphorically and practically lose your life. And so you, you have to then count the cost, right? Because we have to look and say, okay, like this is who that was and this is where that person was going. What is the cost of me doing that? There, there is no doubt in my mind at all as I read the scripture that that had something to do with an earthly cost. That to believe, what did, what did it say? Whoever is ashamed of me and my what? Words. I think it's interesting in scripture that the things that Jesus did never got him in trouble. Everybody was really into the healing. They were really into the, you know, entertaining speeches. And that whole thing where he made one lunch turn into like 10,000 meals, that was pretty epic. What got Jesus in trouble? It was the things that he said. It was his words. How many things that Jesus said are not culturally acceptable in this culture? A lot. A lot of things. And yet, there is this assumption that you and I have the choice. We can actually gain all the things that the world has to offer. I also think it's super interesting that, that, that when Satan came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, that that was the offer. Even the off, offer to Jesus, God, from the devil was, hey, look, Look at all this stuff. You can have it. It can all be yours. And the devil has been saying that lie to every Christian for all of time. Look at all, look at all of this stuff. 
So while it would seem that we would have to give up a lot, maybe even too much for some of us, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. Jesus asked this piercing question. What does it actually profit us to gain the whole world and lose our soul? Some of the most unsatisfied people in the world right now have more money than you and I can even process. And we, we know that intellectually, but we're like, yeah, but if I could just try that for a little while, I bet I'd be different. Because <laughs> here's the reality. Ha- having your needs taken care of, does, it, is, it does make life easier. It makes life easier. It really does. And the scripture is clear that if you are the provider for your family and you don't do that, that you're worse than an infidel. That's a Bible verse too. So what I'm not saying to you is don't make money, don't do your best. And that's why this is so counterintuitive because that's not what I'm saying. We could go throughout the Bible and talk about Lydia who was a seller of purple. She was a small businesswoman. And she was good at it. And she probably funded a lot of Paul's ministry. We can go to Luke, who would write to Theophilus, who probably funded a lot of his ministry. And so, so what I'm not saying to you is money is bad. No, 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 that's not what Scripture says. It says the love of money is bad. And so we're, as the Bible would say, we're stewards of God's varied grace. So God's going to give every one of you different gifts and different callings and how we use that for the kingdom is what matters. But you've got to count the cost because when you sit to think about your life and where you want to go and who you want to be, there is a cost because what can you offer in exchange for your soul? Everything around you is jockeying for position in your heart. And here's the problem. The Bible says that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? That's what it says. One person. One person knows your heart. Jesus. Jesus knows your heart. That's why he comes and he says, Would you lay down your life so you can find it? I think about what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, right? He said, as he came to preach the gospel, and he said, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because honestly, there's a lot of people in our culture, and maybe us if we're going to be honest, we're ashamed of it. We're ashamed of what... It says and doesn't say and what it affirms and doesn't affirm and we'll maybe get into that someday. But all I'm asking you to think about is what, it, what are you ashamed of? What are we ashamed of? It's, Paul said in Romans 1.16, it's the power of God unto salvation to anyone who would hear it. What in the world are we so ashamed of? 
right? We, we spent the last two weeks talking about what does it look like to be on mission for God, that the Holy Spirit would come on you with power to be his witness. Like, let's go. <laughs> and yet we will hold back because we have counted the cost. We have counted the cost. And I think one of the things that holds back the movement of the gospel and his people is shame. And I just came to tell somebody today that you can let go of the shame that's in your life. You're not who you were. You're not what other people have done to you. You are who God says you are. And he says he's willing right now to cleanse all of that away, the scripture says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And you can be set on a totally different mission for your life, but I want you to know that there is a cost. So that brings us to the last thing, and that's the prophet. We started here, and I want to end here. Let's talk about the prophet, right? Because once you count the cost of any endeavor, and the cost is high, you've got to lose your life. You've got to lay your life aside. What's the profit? Because the real risk is that through our shame, through those lies that the devil would tell you, that through that shame, you would miss the true profit of following Jesus here on this earth. What is the true prophet according to Jesus here? Soul-satisfying life. Scripture would call it the abundant life. Jesus would say, if you'll abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Mark chapter 9 verse 1 would say that some of you, some of them, wouldn't even taste their death because the kingdom of God was coming with such power. You know what I think about a couple of years ago with those Coptic Christians on the beach in the Middle East and Islamic terrorists cut their heads off and they were singing and praying, like, how, how does that even happen? Because they couldn't even taste their death because they were seeing the kingdom of God come in such power. You want to be satisfied in this life? You want human flourishing? The call is to come and die. And that's really, really uncomfortable. Because frankly, we care about a lot of things. And right now, our culture cares about a lot of things. <laughs> In fact, it's imploding on itself because there's too many things to care about and keep track of and do and not do and say and don't say and post and not post. Vision up, right? Vision up. Who does Jesus want 
us to be? And how do we get there? The call is to come and die. The cost is your life. But the profit is the abundant life that Jesus promised. And so, so here's the deal. We're going to take communion together because that is where Jesus says he'll show up and meet you. In this moment of consideration. And so as you grab this, this little element, I want you to think about the call. Because you know what? The, the Bible's also clear that Jesus has not asked you to do anything that he didn't first do for you. And in fact, he is very clear in the book of Philippians that Jesus stepped out of the splendors of heaven. Even though he was God, the Bible says, He did not consider the fact that he was God something to be grasped for himself. But he stepped out and he came. You've heard me say before that that's the single thing that distinguishes Christianity and the God of the Bible from every other religion. It's the singular issue is that every religion says we have this problem. And that there's a God who doesn't have this problem. (laughs) But in every other religion, we're told how to work our way back to that God. And hopefully, maybe someday, it'll be enough. But that's not the message of the gospel. That's why gospel means good news. Because what, what happened was when God stepped out of the splendors of heaven to come to this earth and live a perfect sinless life so that he could be a perfect sinless sacrifice to create a new covenant as we'll read here in a second. He came to us. He didn't expect us to come to him. He did for you and I what we can't do for ourselves. And so he went to the cross. That was the beginning of us seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and he would begin to redeem a people for himself of which you and I get to be a part of. And when you jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read these words, My beloved, flee from idolatry. It's where we started today. Whatever it is that I think I want to be is probably an idol in my heart. Doesn't mean that God won't give you some of the joys that come in this life. He will. When he created the Garden of Eden, he gave them all kinds of incredible things to enjoy. I mean, imagine seeing the first lion. And it was nice to you. Like, wow. Wow. Imagine what a giraffe looked like the very first time. Like, whoa. And we could just go on and on. Like, like you look, look at, look, imagine the first time they saw a mountain. Wow. Or the first time, I just think we could go on and on. God gave us a lot to enjoy. 
And so it says, flee idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body and blood of Jesus? Because we who are many, all of us, are actually one because there's one bread. That by Jesus coming and giving up his life, laying down his life, he created a way for all of us to lay down our life and find it in him and then in each other because we're the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God coming to Tampa as it is in heaven. Amen? Want to know why? Every time I walk up here and I turn around and you're here, I get this little leap in my heart like, they're here, they came back. Because it has nothing to do with me. (laughs) If you need a good TED talk, you can get better than what I'm bringing to you. No, no, that's not what we're doing here. We are one body together. I need you. (laughs) Because we have one bread that is Jesus. And so as we come and as 1 Corinthians 11 says, we examine ourselves because we don't want to do this flippantly. If, if this really is the place that we participate in the body and blood of Jesus, that's a huge deal. But let's be real. It's a celebration of the grace of God in our life. And so we get to confess our sin. We get to do this collectively as the body of Christ because it's amazing. And so he says here, and I would encourage you to just take this little wafer in your hand, this little bread in your hand. And here's what Paul said. He said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And I'd encourage you to break it in your hand because that is exactly what happened on our behalf, that when Jesus went to the cross, he was broken so that you and I could have this moment to be whole, to flourish with him. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Bible says in the same way he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And I've done my best to explain that to you as fast as I can. But consider the call. Consider the cost. But also consider the profit. That because Jesus came and made a way, you can be made right with him. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And that's what we're doing. And so the band's going to come up. They're going to play a song because the scripture says that after they had taken those elements together, 
that they sang a song because it's the posture of our heart. It's the overflow of the goodness of God in our life. So why don't you stand with me? But I also want to say that as you sing this song in response to the body and blood of Jesus, that no doubt that whether you're standing here in the room with me or whether you're watching online, that there are things in every one of our life that need to be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. We wouldn't be honest with each other if we would say like, that whole losing your life thing, I've got it all, I've got it all down. <laughs> it's not true. There are pieces of our hearts that are still manufacturing idols. And so I just want to encourage you in this moment as you sing, would you pray? Would you ask God the Holy Spirit to show up in your life? To kill the things inside of you, inside of me, that He doesn't want to be there? And would you just trust Him that if He calls you to kill that thing, to remove that thing from your life, would you just trust Him to know that He says if you'll lay that down, you're going to find what it is you are looking for in it. To the glory of God in the church. So let's sing this out. Let's pray together. And let's have a week worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords.